0: I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today, in Jesus' name. Psalm 94 in the book of Psalms. We're quickly getting to two thirds of the way through the book of Psalms. By the end of next week or the next, we're very likely. To be at Psalm 100, being triple digits, it's amazing that we've been doing this long. It's now that we've gotten to this point. It's one of those things where you just got to get you. You just feel like, wow, we're gonna we're gonna make it through the Book of Psalms. That's uh, exciting to me. I don't know why it is, but it is. And we're gonna go through this Psalm and we're gonna talk about it. And it is a fairly long psalm, not super long, but one of the longer ones. Anything over 20 verses in the book of Psalms is a relatively long psalm. It's a relatively long psalm, and uh, its author is unknown. And so it just starts out uh, with the words. And interestingly, this section of the book of Psalms, almost all of the psalms have no author and have no heading on them. And like I said before, the headings kind of are in Scripture. They're actually in the Hebrew. And they are they give us some kind of a heading. this whole section here seems to be a just a, a bunch of songs that probably not probably are were, and some of them still are actually sung by the Jewish people. and they are it's really just a, a song list that is going on. He says uh, in Psalm 94, the writer says, "O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs." Notice." Notice uh, there's a principle there. There's an idea there that's found uh, throughout the rest of scriptures also. God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, meaning to avenge yourself is not meant for us. It's not meant for uh, God's people. Vengeance is not not something that uh, we should be in the business of, of doing. That's not who we are. And uh, you say, why is that? Because God made us as a trophy. I use this terminology, a trophy, of His grace, which means we're we are His example of His grace and His mercy at work in in humanity in man. He, he we are the example that God can, and I say this many times: we're the example that God can take something that is broken and make it uh, complete and perfect, something that is dead, meaning spiritually dead and separated from Him, and make us alive. And uh, the whole purpose of God and His work in our lives is to show that God is a redemptive God. He's a God who is able to redeem uh, that which is, seems to be unredeemable. Well, remember, vengeance is repaying someone else for their evil. It is the business of being involved in destroying or, or setting right that which is evil. Theoretically, we could do that, but the but the thing is that that's not God's purpose for us. What he says is, you let me handle the vengeance end of things, you let me handle that, and and you be the light to the world. And understanding that, that us repaying vengeance on someone else is not what, is not the idea that God has for believers. He says, I'm gonna take care of it for you. Now, that doesn't mean we don't protect the weak, and he's going to go through, even talk about this in this psalm. It doesn't mean that, that a lot of people carry this to an end that the Bible doesn't carry us to as far as pacifism. It doesn't lead to that, because you're going to see in this psalm that we are to protect the widow and the orphan and the weak. But we're not to take vengeance on somebody else for what they've done to us. We're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to. We're supposed to be the ones who are breaking the chains of bondage, not creating more chains of bondage. He says, oh, God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. What he's saying is that is your job, Lord, and we want to actually see you do it. And, and, and that's not an uncommon idea. That's not an uncommon idea at all for believers to want uh, God to, well, make things right. And the truth is that God is always and constantly doing that. You just don't realize it you don't know it you don't see it he says he says oh god to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth rise up O oh judge of the earth render punishment to the proud and what he's saying is i i want you to set the things that are being done wrong and my father had a great he had a, he had a strong sense of when people were being done wrong and wrong was being was taking place in the end. And boy, he, this section of Psalm 94 would have been something that he would have loved to to talk through. I don't know, he probably did teach through it at some point in time, but basically the idea is that God is, is the one who's doing it. And he's saying, God, I want you to do it now. Do it right now. Render punishment to the proud right now. He says, Lord, how long will the, how long will the wicked try it? Notice it, it's, it's passionate about him. He says it twice. He says, Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? And there is a desire for things to be just and right in the world. And that is not a wrong desire. And it's not a wrong, it's not a wrong feeling or or a heart for a believer to have. We want things to be just and right. And having those emotions, having those desires, well up in you. And if they do, I would say that therefore God wants things to be just and for you to do right by others and that others do right by each other and that the weak and the helpless be protected. And when they're done wrong, all of creation ought to be upset about it. And it is. And there's nothing wrong with those feelings. But remember, we allow God to do it because God does it perfectly at the right time completely most of the time when we make the effort toward vengeance we do it imperfectly usually on a, in an untimely manner and it is not complete and let God do it he says they utter speech and speak insolent things we know that goes on if you've been alive in the world it's going on apparently it was going on 3,000 years ago and And it's going on today. He says, all the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They talk about how great they are. They're very boastful and prideful. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. Notice they, they stand up against God's people. They stand up against believers. They stand up against those who place their faith in God. And in many ways, you can see that today. The godless and the wicked do attack believers. They and want them destroyed. And the only reason that they don't come out right and just openly try to destroy us is because there's too many of us. He says. He says they break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow. Notice there's this is a theme throughout Scripture: is to take care of the widow, to take care of the stranger, the person that you don't know. I've, I've had this conversation with my children. I, I have an obligation to, to, if someone's being mistreated in my presence, even if I don't know them, I have an obligation to step in. And you know what? I, I do. And he says, they break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger. that Notice the, the he says, and murder the fatherless. And that's the other group. It's the widow and the orphan, the fatherless. This is found throughout Scripture. We, I'm the president of uh, of the board of a, a ministry in Montgomery, Alabama, called Shepherd Staff Ministry, and uh, that ministry ministers to the widow and the fatherless. There, that now they they do ministry to other folks, but their main ministry focus is to take care of uh, the widow and the fatherless, so those who are orphaned, those who do not have a dad to take care. Uh, of their needs, a uh, dad to meet their needs. And you say, moms can handle that. That's true. Moms do their best, but a mom can't be a dad and a dad can't be a mom. And uh, the statistics are just astonishingly, well, it's easy for me to say, astonishingly clear that um, uh, a person who, who grows up with a father is more likely, more likely to be poor, uh, more likely to be taken advantage of, more likely to be drug addicted, more likely to be a Uh, criminal. Just if you just put together all the things, a female is more likely to be a a mother as a teenager. It's just if you put the, if you put those things in line and you line them up, if you put them out there, I, I would say this, that that line of things out there, if you line them up, it's just clear that being uh, fatherless is a, is a disadvantaged and it puts you in a bad position because you don't have uh, what you don't have the picture of the Heavenly Father in your life and, and no father is lives up to that picture but it's important that they're that they're there he says that they slay the widow the stranger and the fatherless yet they say the Lord does not see nor does the God of Jacob understand what they're saying is God doesn't exist he's not there he doesn't see it's not happening and there's a special place For those who care about the widow and the fatherless, those who care about uh those who are defenseless and helpless, and there's a special place in hell for those who take advantage of them. He says, Understand you're senseless among the people, and you fools, when you when will you be wise? He's going into saying, uh you need to understand that God does see this, and you need to you need to stop your foolishness and understand that God is quick to is slow to anger. But when the anger comes, his wrath is not far behind. He says, he who planted the ear, shall he not hear? I love the way that, that phraseology, because the ear does look like it's a, it's like a cauliflower, it's like a plant that's been grown on our head. If you'll notice, it's, it, it, if you got big ones, and by the way, the, old, the, the two parts of your face that keep on growing your whole life are your ears and your nose. And that's why when you see older folks, they got bigger noses and bigger ears. But but as your ear grows and grows out, it does look like it's been planted in your head. And and that's just a cool phrase that he that the, the psalmist used. He said, He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He says, He who formed the eye, shall he not see? What he said is God uh, made ears and eyes for us to use. Surely he sees and hears. He knows what's going on. He says, He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? Meaning, yeah, if God's told the nations and told the people how to live and and they have not, do you think he's not going to fix that? He says, he who teaches man knowledge, the, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. If he teaches you knowledge, he knows our thoughts and he knows that they are futile. Meaning our thoughts are not his thoughts and they are not, our thoughts <coughs> do not consider all the variables. And the number of variables in every situation is so enormous, so gigantic, so unimaginable that it is tough for you to ever consider it. The wise person uh, does not make a rash decision, does not say rash things, does not allow things to come out of their mouth until they've at least considered the variables Uh, that are plain and obvious to be seen. And sometimes when you are uh, trying to fix a situation or trying to deal with a problem or trying to uh, solve an issue in life, you have to consider all the variables, at least all the variables that God has revealed to you, at least all the variables that God has has shown to you. And if, if you're not, it's foolishness. And God has revealed those variables to help you wade your way through the situation. Oftentimes people just rashly just dis- decide, but God, he does not rashly decide. He knows all the variables and they are enormous. He knows uh, the butterfly effect, if it were. He knows the idea that any every action has an infinite number of reactions that take place based on that action. And he understands that, and he, he makes decisions perfectly based on that. He says, blessed is the man who you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law. Meaning, when God teaches us, he teaches us how to see the world from the right perspective, and we're blessed by. It. And, and those who are not involved in God's word are not blessed by. It. Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity that you may give him rest from the days of adversity, meaning as we learn things, we learn how to stay out of the adverse situations that we keep putting ourselves in. Now, there's naturally going to be adversity, and adversity is going to bring about good things in our life. The main good things that adversity brings about in our lives is the understanding that we need to hear from God, and we need to seek him out first. And adversity, football coaches and uh, military officers and non-commissioned officers and any situation where if there's difficulty, you must go through difficulty in order to learn and to learn how to do it by instinct rather than just by remembering to do whatever it is that you're involved in, whether it be a firefighter or a police officer. Or just We understand that putting... Uh, that that person through adversity causes them to be steeled toward the things that they need to lo- know and learn and, that, and that, that becomes a part of their nature. And so adversity has its uh, value. But that being said, adversity ought to bring about some sort of wisdom so that when you are in the situation, your natural instinct is to do that which the adversity was sent to teach you to do. And so if I'm in the situation, and I'm not reacting the way I should be reacting based off of what God has taught me, then there's going to be more adversity to teach me to react to his, the situation where God wants me to react to that situation. And that's just the way it works. And there, there but there comes a time when those adversities are not sent anymore because you have learned and you've taken on the character and nature of God. He says that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. Notice that God is going to, God's going to dig, a, he's got a pit ready for the wicked and it's going to, it's going to be taking place. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. Well, that's some good words right there, isn't it? The Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment will return to the righteous, to righteousness. Judgment will return to righteousness. And all the upright in heart will follow it, and that's God's promise to us—that He's not going to cast off His inheritance, and we're His inheritance. We're what he are we are the inheritance of Jesus Christ. He earned us on the cross, and He's not going to turn His back on us. He's not going—he's going to return judgment to righteousness. There's going to come a day when that which is right is going to judge and set right every, and we will hear it and know it. He says, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, notice he's saying, who's gonna fix these problems of the evildoers and the workers of iniquity? It's not us. He says, unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would, have, would soon have settled in silence. Notice, I would have just sat there and done nothing and, and, and seen nothing. But God is the help. He's the one who fixes that. He is the one who is the avenger of blood. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O oh Lord, will hold me up. Notice, God holds us upright even when we can't stand upright on our own. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, the comfort, uh your comfort delights my soul. So when I'm feeling the anxiety of the uh, situations that are around me, God's comfort settles me. God comforts me. And what does he comfort me with? Does he he just pet me and say, it's gonna be all right? No, he says, I am in charge. I am in control, trust me. That's where the comfort comes from. And so when the multitude of anxieties of life come upon us, God says, your comfort delights my soul. He says, shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil, have fellowship with you. Meaning that's a loaded uh, verse there. Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you. Wow, what is that what does that mean? That is a very interesting verse. It's one that that kind of stirs me. Notice that there are authorities and powers in the earth. The easiest to see is governmental power, who which devises, meaning they come up with evil and they set it in place by law. Okay? They set it in place by law. So, shall the throne of iniquity, the power of iniquity, the power of evil and sin, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with God. No, just because they've set themselves up, just because they've ruled by evil does not mean that that they have fellowship with God. Just because God allowed them to rise up in their iniquity does not mean that they have fellowship with him. They do not. And what is clearly evil and wrong it's clearly evil and wrong today, just as it must was three thousand years ago. This book does not be, need to be updated. Its truth is eternal. Its truth is eternal. A fool says that says to the eternal God that what He says is not true because your limited perspective of the day does not fit that. That is foolishness and to be trembled at and feared. He says they gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. Notice that's another principle of God that you find throughout scripture. God cannot stand the shedding of innocent blood. He cannot stand that. Notice all these things are coming together in this Psalm, Psalm 94, the shedding of innocent blood. God told the people of Israel that he would forgive all their turning, all their iniquity, all their worshiping of false gods. But he said the 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 shedding of innocent blood, which was the sacrificing of, of of babies on the altar of Molech, he would not forgive that. He said, "I'm not releasing you from that. That's a blood guilt, and you will not be released from that." And that's an under that's an important understanding. God, if you want to talk about the most innocent and the most helpless. And the most needing of defense, the child, the, the baby is obviously meets that, that criteria, whether they be in their mother's womb or not. And he says, you condemn innocent blood, but the Lord has been my defense and my God, the rock of my refuge. Notice God, God is a stronghold and a strong hiding place. And he is a great defender of those who walk rightly before him, who love uh, good and hate evil. Who, who have a strong sense of caring for the fatherless and the widow and the stranger, for those who, who take regard for the weak around them and consider their suffering and step in. God is a great defender of those who are those ways. I can't emphasize it enough. The, the man or the woman who is a defender of the fatherless and the widow uh, and the stranger and the orphan, the person who takes regard for the weak around them, the person who... Uh, who walks in righteousness and hates they, those who shed innocent blood and hates the act of shedding of innocent blood, those people God will protect and he will hold and he will strengthen and he will put them together and keep them far past the time they by all normal reasoning should be gone because God, God needs and, and desires and glorifies himself through those who do those things. And the idea of this Psalm is that God is the Avenger, but we have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to the fatherless, to the, or the orphan, to the widow, to the stranger, to the weak and to the innocent, to those who are weak around us. And weakness can be mental or physical or, or, or economic or, or those things. And then obviously to protect innocent blood from being shed. That's our responsibility. And he says, he's brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. And he will, and that day's coming. And I believe it, and I, it, is, it is as if it is ingrained in me. It is my natural instinct to know that God is going to do that, why? Because he keeps showing me that he's going to do that. He is going to cut off the wicked. And he knows the heart of man, He searches the depths of their heart and he knows their desires and he cuts off the wicked. He cuts the wicked off so we can trust him. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.